My name is Tyler Muse. I'm the founder and CEO of Lingo Live, and I'm listening to Culture Matters. Build your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural fails and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters on International Business. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution. He makes you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Every episode, he interviews a prominent guest who will tell you his or her story and share international experiences, making you more cultural competent. And now, here's your host, Chris Smith. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Chris Smith, and you're listening to the Culture Matters Podcast. We are on episode number 89, and if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, it is a really good idea to do that right now. Just pause this podcast, head over to iTunes, and subscribe to this Culture Matters Podcast. Okay, Today's guest is Tyler Muse. Tyler Muse is the founder and CEO of Lingo Life, a language learning company he started in 2012 after learning Spanish with a woman in Guatemala over Skype. Today, Lingo Life helps thousands of working professionals throughout the globe express their authentic voice and communicate more effectively in their jobs through highly personal one-on-one English communication training. Lingo Life's mission is to encourage meaningful human connections through learning. And Lingo Life is more than a language teaching company because they also dive into the culture, the cultural background. So um, think about, for instance, direct and indirect communication. How do you how do you teach somebody you know how to communicate directly if you come from an indirect communicating culture? Stuff like that is all the stuff we talk about. Towards the end. Tyler comes up with three, three very interesting um, things that you can do to become more culturally competent. So for now, let's get right to the interview. It's time for this week's guest at Culture Matters. Tyler, good morning. I think it's good morning where you are, isn't it? It is, yes. 10 o'clock in the morning on the East Coast in New York City. All right. You just reveal, revealed where you are, which is half of my first question, um, <laughs> which is perfectly fine because the East Coast is still a, a pretty lar- large land area. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Tyler, who you are, where do you come from, um, and where are you now? East Coast, US, but where is that more specifically? And um, for my frame of reference, your so-called cultural frame of reference. Uh, in other words, have you worked with other cultures? Have you um, gone well, holiday? You know, two weeks in Cancun is not really a cultural frame of reference. <laughs> so sure. tell us a little bit about yourself in general. Absolutely. Um, so... My name is Tyler Muse. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, and for the first 13 years of my life, lived in a pretty small bubble in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas. My mother decided that we knew nothing about the world and we needed to have a cultural experience. Right. So she picked us up and moved us to London uh-huh. uh, for what was supposed to be a six-month kind of cultural immersion experience, and uh-huh. we stayed for three years. Uh, so we were dragged over there kicking and screaming and dragged back kicking and screaming. Um, but that really opened my eyes to connecting with, with people of entirely different backgrounds and how much you can have in common with these people. And that's been a theme throughout my life, yeah. uh, something that I'm really passionate about and has led me most recently to starting Lingo Live, which is an online coaching mm-hmm. platform that takes people of entirely different backgrounds and connects them in a learning environment to help 
people communicate more effectively. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about the Lingo Life for sure uh, more extensively in a moment. And um, this is something you moving to London and staying there three years is something which is not in your bio. So that's a that's a new topic that I will latch onto immediately. Okay. Uh, just out of curiosity, how old were you, if I may ask, when you when you when you came there? I was 13 years old, okay, which, which is I think which is pretty important because uh, that's a very formative time in your life at 13. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's exactly that age. I, I was 13 years old when I moved to the states for the first time in my life, oh, cool. uh, being a Dutchman, and then all of a sudden, you know, the first thing I can still recall arriving there at JFK Airport, and this is a long time ago, Tyler, 1976. <laughs> so I got out of the, out of the plane, and I was the first thing I, as a little boy of 13 year, I had in my mind, I need to go outside and see if those cars are really that big. <laughs> as you, as you, as I would have seen on TV, so that was the first thing on my mind, and that's well, that's what I did. Um, and then, of course, you start to get into that culture and all this kind of good stuff. So, being a boy or a, a young man of thirteen years old, what is the, the 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 brightest, the biggest memory you still hold of that period there? Well, you know, I my perception—it's very embarrassing to say this—but my perception of anything outside of the United States, but specifically of London was Monty Python, kind of, right. you know, uh, monks in robes walking down cobblestone streets in dreary weather. And so I remember within a day, completely changing that perspective, uh -huh. we went to uh, Piccadilly Circus uh -huh. in London. And I realized, no, this is actually a pretty incredible city with a lot of fun things going on. It's very modern. Um, so my uh, while I was dragged over there kicking and screaming, I think that moment of being in Piccadilly Circus and realizing that I've moved to one of the most exciting cities in the world mm -hmm. uh, was just completely changed my mindset and had me really excited. That plus I came from an environment where I was in a private school wearing uniforms surrounded by a bunch of boys Goodness. to a American school where we didn't have to wear uniforms uh -huh. and there were a bunch of you know pretty girls walking around. So okay. it, I was pretty happy, I'd say within a week I, I was ready to stay. Right. Okay. Right. So, and how were you treated as as this this American kid? Uh, and then, I mean, not even American from from Texas. I mean, Texas is the state within the, within the states in a way. Um. Yeah. There was definitely all the kind of. Uh, to be clear, I went to the American school in London, so okay. I wasn't at a British school. Um. But there was a lot of misconceptions. The American school in London is not mostly Americans. Actually, I'd say less mm -hmm. than half of the students are Americans. The rest are. Um, a lot of them are, are expats from other countries. And so, you know, uh, I had one of my best friends was Persian. The other one was from uh, Dubai, a couple Americans and a guy from South Korea. That was obviously pretty bizarre for me coming from a place where all my best friends were within a five block radius. Yeah. So um, their perceptions were the kind of classic things you hear when people haven't been to Texas. Do you ride a horse to school? Um, <laughs> Where's your gun? You know, Where's your gun? Exactly. Or, yeah. And the other gun? Exactly. Yeah. So, so have you, like, have you, did you travel? Um, so you stayed three years in London or, or at least that area. Have you traveled to other cities in Europe uh, during that time as well? Absolutely. So my, my mother really gets the credit. I mean, we traveled a lot when we were there. I don't know how many countries we went to, but mostly throughout Europe. Um, we did go to Istanbul, to Morocco, uh, and to St. Petersburg in Russia. Um, but that really started for me a pattern throughout my life of throwing myself in new places where I'm completely out of my comfort zone. So I've lived in Argentina and Hong Kong and Rome, um, and then I've 
I've really only stayed in one city for more than four years uh, over the past four years because I recently became a father and I can't jump around to all these different cities now. So, okay, congratulations for that as well. Thank you. Of course. So you you. How is that like to be thrown out of your comfort zone? Because that is the thing that a lot of people really dislike about the other culture. And typically, if the going gets tough, you know, if if you're if we're switching this conversation towards a business environment um, where you know resources are are getting short, time is getting short, uh, money is getting short, and so often people then go back to their own well, if you want cultural uh, default behavior, like okay, now I've had enough. Now we're going to do is my way. We've had enough. Okay, and now it's my way, whether it's the Korean way, the American way, the German way, that doesn't make much of a difference. How do you step outside of that comfort zone and maintain that and not quickly step back? Yeah, I think that's one of the things I love so much about our um, platform at Lingo Live and really about the pedagogy or the methodology that's behind what we do. I have to give credit to our, our chief learning officer, Jesse, who really created the model wherein people are forced to step outside of their comfort zone. Um, and so essentially what that model is that we use is, um, and I don't know if it's the right time to get into the specifics of Lingo Live or if you're saying more generally, how, how do you step outside no, no, of your- Just finish your, your because I, I, I hardly write down anything beforehand and, and I, I start with a blank piece of paper, uh, <laughs> which, which is scribble paper with a big three here, but it's, okay. it starts empty and then it fills up slowly. So just go ahead cool. and, and, and talk and you lead the direction. Yeah. So essentially the problem that we're solving is a lot of our learners at Lingo Live come to us as people who are brilliant, um, either software engineers or, uh, employees primarily at technology companies, mm -hmm. um, who come from outside of the United States and they speak English, um, but they don't speak it as confident as they would like to. But then also they're very unfamiliar with the culture that they're walking into. They're very unfamiliar with a Western culture and certainly with a technology company culture where things are even more informal than they would be, let's say, at a financial institution. A bank, here. Yes, exactly. yeah. um, so for that reason, they, uh, they really need to be pushed outside of their comfort zone. And our methodology ensures that we make that happen for them, but at a rate that is not shocking to their system. So essentially what we do at Lingo Live is we employ a task-based learning methodology where we will simulate a specific skill or task that you're looking to perform will actually simulate that in the classroom with you where it's a more comfortable environment where you have this coach who is connecting with you virtually like you and I are now, uh -huh. but, but with whom you have a relationship and who you trust. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll give you an example of how we, we kind of simulate that, uh, uh, comfort zone situation. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're a software engineer working at, um, Google and you need to, uh, learn how to concisely describe the project that you're working on in a team meeting where they're going around rapid fire around the table and you've got five minutes to ex explain what it is that you're working on. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty mortifying experience for you if you're a non-native English speaker. Um, so by and large, so, so what the task-based learning methodology says is let's say your coach is, um, Matthew, Matthew will work with you and say, well, why don't you do that with me now in the classroom? Mm -hmm. Let's try and explain it concisely. And let me, as a language and cultural expert, let me diagnose what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Where are you doing really well? And where are you struggling? 
Um, and where you're, where you're struggling are things that serve as learning objectives for you over the next, you know, 12 sessions that we're going to work on together. So the example in concisely describing what you're working on is maybe there are some language components like, uh, your pronunciation of TH sounds or, uh, your grammar in the past tense. But there's also some social convention, uh, areas that we can work on like eye contact, intonation, And so we're going to work on that over the next, let's say, 12 sessions. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to come back and we're going to perform the task again in the classroom together. And you're going to see the difference. And I'm going to note the difference literally on the Lingo Live platform. Um, But we're not done there. If we only did everything in the classroom, I don't think we can truly say that we're putting these people outside of their comfort zone. Um, So a key component of our task-based learning methodology is an action step, which literally says, Okay, to this engineer, we've done this. You feel more confident now. Now go do that in your next team meeting and report back to me on Wednesday when we meet in the lesson. So you get that level of accountability from the coach to Mm -hmm. say the only way you're actually going to make progress here is to go do that in the wild. But now I've trained you and given you that confidence that Mm -hmm. you can do this. Uh, Report back to me and let me know how it went. So it's it's not only language; it's also like attitude, bits and pieces of culture, um, and also a bit of presentation, really. Absolutely, yeah, and, yes. And then confidence building, of course. Yeah, and I think somewhere on your, I think it was your LinkedIn profile that you studied Spanish as well. Or Correct. Like- yeah. So that's what started the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, you mentioned a bank before. I worked in a bank. My background is not as a language expert. Okay. Um, So my background is uh, in energy finance. I started uh, my career actually after having lived in Hong Kong, I decided I wanted to get into energy because I saw the demand for resources there and thought this is not sustainable. Um, So I did not think I was going to be here, but uh, I needed to learn Spanish for a trip that my wife and I took to Cuba. And I told my wife I want uh, a native speaker because I lived in Argentina and I knew that the only way you can really learn the language is a native speaker. Uh Um, one-on-one who's available after eight o'clock at night and doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Yeah. And that was, and still is very difficult to find, but she found this woman on the internet who had posted an ad who lived in Guatemala. And that woman, Kathy basically opened my eyes to not just how effective this is as a learning kind of one-on-one over Skype, um, how effective it was in learning a language, but also the relationship that's created there and the kind of, bridging the, that cultural gap that had been a theme throughout my life. I decided this is a business because it works, but it's also something that I'm really passionate about. And I want to, I want to see if I can make this work as a business. Yeah. It's quite a, it's, it's, it's quite a task um, to, uh, to learn a language. As a matter of fact, I am studying Spanish myself second oh, cool. year in on a fast track. Um, and indeed what I, we have this very nice system here in the city where I live, which has, is a university city where they have this, this uh, platform where people connect, you know, I can, so what I can deliver is, is Dutch and English. And I'm looking for somebody who's native speaking Spanish. So um, I'm teaming up. I have teamed up with two people, one from Uruguay and one from Argentina or Argentina okay. as well. So that's, that is really nice. That is the way to go. Real life. I mean, this this is as good as it gets if it's long distance. I think what you and I are doing at this moment. Um, Absolutely. So in, in, in your terms, in, in, in your view and vision, how do language and culture relate to each other? Hmm. Yeah, I think it's really hard to separate language and culture. They're so interrelated. Um, particularly in the workplace, I think that um, understanding what is culturally appropriate 
is as important as communicating your point the way that you feel it needs to be communicated. So if I can, it's a really hard question that you're asking, but I think if I can distill it is there is what you want to say and there is what the other person needs to hear and you have to do both. And I would say that, you know, language is obviously driving what you want to say, but the cultural piece of really having an understanding for the other person's agenda and caring personally about them yeah. and understanding what's appropriate as per the culture of this, you know, Western culture or the culture of this organization, yeah. um, you need to know how to say it um, so that it is kind of speaking their language. And I know that's cheesy, I guess, so that. No, that, no but that I they, think it's the essence of and Maybe that sounds cheesy yeah. because it is the essence, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. They have to. It's not just about what you want to get across. It's about what's going to resonate most with the other side. And I think having an understanding for in the workplace, what are the core values of this organization and is what I am saying in line with those core values? Mm. That's something we take really seriously here at Lingo Live and we kind of live and breathe those core values to make sure that people are communicating with one another the right way. Mm. So, and, and, uh, because I think, It's, it's, it is going into a question that I thought of beforehand. Uh, this is before we, uh, I started to record this interview. Um, this is about directness and indirectness in a culture and, uh, Western North American culture, Western European culture are relatively direct in, in their communication. Like mm. if, if you would show me something and you would ask Chris, what do you think of this? I can say, well, Tyler, I think it needs, it needs tweaking here or tweaking there. I don't like it at all. And that's a direct mm. way of communicating. And that is, um, I mean, in a work context, if you and I would be colleagues, that is something you would expect from me to do. And so if you are getting somebody from well, Guatemala, which, is, which for us, for example, is a culture which communicates relatively, compared to the Americans, very indirect. How do you mm-hmm. overcome that? How do you make this Guatemalan person or this, this Mexican person or Brazilian person, how do, you, how do you get that directness? How do you get that? In, that is so darn difficult. How do you do that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And actually, most of our um, learners, because the companies that we work with are primarily technology companies and many of their employees that they're bringing in from outside the U.S. are software engineers. Um, most of these folks are from kind of Asia Pacific region okay. where culturally that idea of challenging anybody in the organization, let alone a superior, is a big no-no. And it's not something that you can just go into a classroom session with a lingo live coach and kind of realize that, oh, I'm, it's okay to do that. You actually have to learn to do that and, and you have to take baby steps along the way. Um, I am a big fan of, and my co-founder Mike as well, of the Radical Candor model. Have you read this book, Radical Candor? No, no, enlighten me, please. It's a great book. I really highly recommend it because um, I think when you say, you know, we have a tendency to be really direct the the essence of radical candor is um, you kind of have two axes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and on one axis is challenging directly, mm-hmm. and on the other axis is caring personally. Okay. And so if you're only challenging correctly and not caring personally, uh, you know you're not a very nice guy. Uh, there's there's harsher words that we could put in there. Um, but if you're only caring about the person but you're not actually challenging them, then you're being ruinously empathetic. Um, so radical candor is when you communicate a point across where you genuinely care about the other person and you recognize the things that that other person does really well. And that is an asset to the organization while at the same time, 
letting them know the things that, you know, they need to make an improvement in or your opinion, which may run counter to their opinion. And I think if you only do the latter and you don't actually invest the time in the relationship with the person or in that conversation, articulating what they've done that you care about, that shows that you trust them and you care personally about them, um, then you're not going to be successful at all. And so when we work with an engineer from China, uh, a lot of times we're teaching them to be empathetic and compassionate, but at the same time to make their point and to make it in a way that shows that they've considered the other person's feelings when doing it. Um, so that is really hard. It can take a long amount of time. And our typical learner will go through, you know, I mentioned these tasks are about 12 sessions, which, yeah. you know, if you think three times a week, that's a, that's about a month. So it can take five, six <laughs> months, sometimes even years for people to learn how to do this. But these are the, these are the skills of a leader in a modern organization. So it's not just leveling the playing field and getting you to an area where you can communicate like your peers who are native English speakers. It's actually taking you above them and teaching you skills that are more fundamental leadership qualities. Um, okay. So, um, no, I'm going to continue on this if that's okay with you. So, yeah. uh, since you said a lot of technology companies, uh, they are uh, somewhat more informal than, uh, say, bank or financial institutions. How how do you um, teach typically? I mean, a, a concept in your culture is your political correctness, right? Mm. That's that's a, a phenomenon that that Americans uh, all dislike, but everybody sticks to it. Every individual you ask, are you okay and comfortable with the po political correctness? No, we should throw that overboard, but people still all stick to them. Therefore, mm. nothing changes. So it's, it's, how do you teach someone, um, the, the, that sensitivity for that political correctness? Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I've done some research on the internet and, uh, I even came across like you can't call mother and father anymore. You have to call them the parent of a child. Because right. that, that would be a gender in uh, uh, political incorrectness, yeah, stuff like that. And and in the Netherlands, there is a movement going on at this moment whereby public companies like the public railroad company or um, government institutions want to get rid of, um, say, announcement on platforms like "ladies and gentlemen," and mm. they want to change that now to uh, "dear traveler." So mm. th th that, those are s sensitivities. How do you teach that? That's a great question. I think that, um, you know, this is one of a number of ways where you may potentially offend somebody. And I think that instead of trying to teach our uh, learners how to not offend someone, we more focus on how to teach them that how to genuinely care and mm -hmm. listen, actively listen to how somebody else feels mm -hmm. so that you can earn that person's trust because you're going to you're going to offend somebody. You're going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. But if you have invested in a relationship with that person and they feel like they can trust you and they genuinely care about you, they're likely to tell you what it is that you did that rubbed them the wrong way. And then you can take that into account. If you're a good person who genuinely cares about them, you're going to take that into account in your communications. But the idea of like, let us teach you all these things in advance so that you don't offend anybody, I right. think is a loser's game. I think it's it's not a, a time well spent. Because for you, you can't grasp anybody. everything anyways. 
Exactly. You, you just more need to be that open person who's invested in a relationship with them so that they can feel comfortable telling you if you've done something to offend them. Okay. Makes, makes sense. Um, so your, your system, your, your, your lingo life system revolves around, well, a platform, but also, um, an online platform, of course, and, but also the, uh, the Skype that that's the contact that you have, right? Correct. Is yes. It, and to what extent is, is that sufficient enough or to what extent is learning a language a real contact sport? Like, mm. like sales is, for instance. I mean, selling over the phone is harder than, you know, if I would be in your office. Sure. Well, I think it depends on where you're at in your journey for learning a language. So when you first started learning Spanish, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a lot of, as you know, fundamental building blocks of the language, the grammar, the sentence structure that um, while they lend themselves well to a live coaching environment or a contact sport, as you were mentioning, mm -hmm. they also are things that require self-study and can lend themselves well to kind of an autonomous or uh, asynchronous learning environment where you really don't need that live coach because mm -hmm. it's just learning fundamental building blocks. Our learners, the people we work with are, you know, people who have been hired from China, India, Eastern Europe, Latin America to come work for a company like a Twitter or an Eventbrite, mm -hmm. these people already know the language. So they've moved well beyond the foundational right. components of the language. Uh -huh. What they need is to learn how to, you know, actively listen to somebody else versus trying to digest in their head what they're trying to say, or to learn how to write a compelling story in a performance review, or take credit for one of their ideas. These are really advanced um, language and no. communication skills that you, you're not going to get in a book or in a program mm -hmm. that you really need a live coach to work with you one-on-one -on -one and help you understand how to perform these things appropriately. So just being devil's advocate in this case, if why would I go to Lingo Life and why would I not, you know, uh, go on Facebook, find a group and ask somebody, you know, will you be my coach or sparring partner or conversation partner? Why would I go with you? Well, you may it may make sense for you to go to a language exchange exchange like what you're talking about. Our, our target customer is, is enterprise and these companies like, you know, as I mentioned, Twitter or Eventbrite or Dell companies that we're working with today. Um, if we go to an Amazon or an Apple or a Microsoft and we say, we know better than anybody, the communication skills that your engineers struggle with, mm -hmm. your non-native English speaking engineers struggle with. And we have over 150 coaches and dozens of courses that are going to resonate with these people that are going to provide the best return on investment. So yes, you could find a live coach somewhere else, mm -hmm. but if that coach doesn't have the right context, the right course materials, the right experience, then it's going to be a waste of your time. True. How, how do you find those people? How do you find your coaches? Yeah. So our coaches are our business. They're the most important piece of what we do. Uh -huh. um, and we invest a lot in making sure that we create a community that really embraces these coaches, empowers them. Um, so we have really high satisfaction results across our coaching community. It can always get better. But um, where that pays off beyond just creating the type of community we want is over 90% of our coach hires come through referrals from our existing okay. coaches. Uh -huh. So these coaches will refer peers who they know that would be really good to teach a specific course or, um, you know, would just be a great coach to come on board with Lingo Live. And then we have a 
a learning team here that really vets the quality. And then if, if they find that they're the right fit, trains them and onboards them. Okay. So um, these people are, are scattered all over the world, I guess. Correct. So the all only thing, over. Sorry, go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, all over the world, literally. <laughs> okay, so these people uh, really only need to have some. Uh, maybe this is not really grateful the way I'm trying to phrase this. Some sort of business experience and an internet connection, and they're they're and be able to speak a level of English and then their own native language, of course. Sure. Yeah. So there's a few. When you think about the coaches, it's really hard to summarize what is a typical Lingo Live coach because we actually try to have a coaching community that is as diverse as our learning community, as the learners who are going to be connected to these people. So in terms of like standard qualifications that we look for across the board, we look for people who have a, a proven record of connecting with learners who have over three years of experience teaching English as a second language, right. um, some of which is online. Obviously, they have to have a, a highly reliable internet connection. Mm -hmm. But then beyond that, we, we have to be sophisticated about which coaches we're hiring. And the way that we determine that is what are the most popular tasks that our learners want to work on? Mm -hmm. So if it is how to write a compelling story in a performance review, let's say next month starts mm -hmm. to become even more popular. We know that we need coaches who have a specific background in writing skill development mm -hmm. Um, so Lauren Maslin is one of our coaches who does, you know, uh, a course specifically around writing that compelling story for your performance review. And her background is as a journalist. Right. But then if somebody wants to work on pronunciation, then you're really looking for an entirely different background. So to say like you're just an English teacher isn't enough. You really need relevant kind of business experience yes. to say you're going to be the right person for this skill. And with, and with all these skills, your matchmaking um, uh, question, the demand and uh, the question that people need to, or the, the skill that people want to have developed. Exactly. So that's where the technology comes in. We've got an algorithm that makes sure that we're matching learners with coaches who are not just available at the times that they want to take sessions, but also have the relevant skills to teach them what they want to learn. Okay. Sounds sounds really interesting because it's it's indeed I wrote down it's more than language so lingo lingo life is is more than language just it's not just language it's, absolutely it's culture it's attitude but it's also specific specific skills within the well what you want to achieve with the language of course um, I've been I've been in my in my quest of learning Spanish I've been um, looking at the internet of searching the internet of course. So how can how can you speed that up? What is the best way to speed up learning a language in your maybe own experience? Um, you know, it's not a sexy answer, but like anything, it's practice makes perfect. So uh, I've learned Spanish, Portuguese, and I'm now taking Mandarin uh, lessons on our platform. And I take sessions every single morning uh, at 8 a.m. And typically it'll take a couple of years of sessions. I don't take them on the weekends. So five, five days a week, usually mm -hmm. uh, every single morning um, with Spanish, with Portuguese. It took me about two years. I'm about a year and a half into Mandarin and I'm sure that it's going to take three years. So, More uh, so yeah. yeah, I think it's, you got to love learning a language. I, I'm pretty unique. I don't know. Even here at Lingo Live, a lot of the people take lessons, but there are very few people who like Jesse, our chief learning officer, or like me, are that passionate about learning a right. language that they're going to take sessions every morning. So, and that's fine. If your goal is just to make, um, you know, enough progress in very specific skills, then engagement of, you know, 
a couple times a week for six months is definitely going to help you. Sure. But if you're if you're trying to fast track it and become fluent in the language, you got to put in the time. You got to put in hundreds of hours. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess you sort of answered my, my next question because what I stumbled upon were a couple of those TED or TEDx talks where people mm. say, you know, you can learn a language in three months or three weeks or even three hours if you only mm. do this, this and this. Is that total nonsense? Well, I think most of what I've seen, I don't know specifically what videos you're referring to, but most of what I've seen is based on the outcome that you're looking for. Um, so if you're trying to, let's say, travel around Tokyo and you that's your only goal and you dedicate, you know, three weeks to that, you can absolutely learn how to do that. Now, if we took that same person and brought them into a boardroom and told them to explain what they do for a living, they would fall flat on their face. But right. that's that's not their goal. And that's where our methodology, this task based learning is. We're trying to be the best in the world at connecting you with a live coach who knows exactly what you need to learn to transform your career. It's not teaching you everything about this language. Um, but in terms of little hacks that I can recommend, I mean, obviously, I take sessions every day. The more you can be immersed in live one-on-one -on -one instruction and conversation, the better. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously, vocabulary and grammar and all the kind of foundational components of the language are crucial, and you just have to learn those. Right. Um, so I use a flashcard app to, to, to learn those things called Anki. I'm not sure if you've used that before. That monkey without an M? No, Anki, A-N-K-I. A-N-K-I, um, as in India. Yes, A-N-K-I. It's a free flashcard app, and it, it uses spatial repetition software to figure out, okay, you know this word really well. We're going to show it to you in four weeks versus this other word you said was hard for you. We're going to show it to you in four minutes. And it's based on science around what it takes for you to actually memorize things because that is unfortunately part of learning a language. Yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, no easy uh, no easy shortcuts like that. Not with a language. Not in our age. If you're a kid, it's amazing how these kids, you know, pick up languages like there's there's no tomorrow. It just it's so, it's goes so easy for them. Um Anyways, um, I'm, I'm going, coming to my last two questions, which um, is uh, the last one is how can people get in touch with you? But the first one of the last one, the last two is can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Three tips to become more culturally competent. Yes. I mean, obviously, I'm biased here with having traveled a lot. So that's fine. Travel as much as possible, um, which is as much about, you know, being in a place where that culture is exposed to you, but it's also, it goes back to that comfort zone piece that we talked about before. So actually not just traveling, um, but doing it begrudgingly, actually embracing the fact that you'll be outside of your culture zone, comfort zone. So as you said, like if you go to Cancun, Mexico for four days uh, and you never leave the resort, well, you haven't really you know, you haven't really put yourself outside of your comfort zone. You haven't really been exposed to the culture. Um, even if you were there for four weeks, uh -huh. you're going to learn a lot more about culture in Mexico if you, you know, went to Oaxaca and lived with the family for four days. So yes. um, it's really figuring out on that spectrum, where is your comfort zone? Mm -hmm. um, and step a little bit outside of that. Don't go crazy, but really force yourself to step a little bit outside of that and, and get outside of the country. Obviously, learning a new language is a huge part of it. Um, but if you're not passionate about learning a new language, you can still be open to learning about different cultures and having new experiences. There's a lot 
um, through actually through Vice. I'm not sure if you ever watch Vice uh, Media. It's a big uh, oh, yeah, media company here in the U.S. And they do a lot of things uh, around international culture that you can get a better sense for what's going on in Turkey or um, you know how the economy is faring in China. But really, you know, great journalism of people on the ground talking about how it's making these people feel culturally, like how it's different from what their grandparents or their, even their parents felt. Um, I, I get fascinating exposure to culture by looking through some of their content without having to travel to Beijing. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, is a nice place to visit in any case. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you can't do it, there's, there's other ways. And then books, of course. I mean, I think yeah. radical candor, I mentioned when you're, if you're talking about culture in terms of corporate culture and how to improve your communication skills, um, there's a lot of books that I would recommend. Um, Radical Candor is is definitely one of those that would be top of the list that I just finished. Okay, it'll be in the show notes for sure. And then, um, Tyler, how can people get in touch with you or and or your organization? Sure. So if you go to lingolive.com, um, there is a contact us button really everywhere all over the site. <laughs> so. If they just go to our website, um, if you go to our website, you can find it. But the, the actual link is con- lingolive.com slash contact dash us. Dash us. Okay. All right. Note it. Um, again, that'll be in the show notes as well of the Culture Matters podcast. Thank you so much, Tyler, for taking the time uh, in your uh, East Coast morning to talk to us about language and culture. And I'm pretty sure we'll bump into each other in the future. Great. No, thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks again, Tyler. Uh, If you want to see as uh, an audience what Tyler looks like and how we've done this on video as well, you can head over to culturematters.com slash YouTube and then you'll find the, the YouTube channel that is in conjunction with this podcast, of course. Again, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review in iTunes. That would really help um, push this this uh, podcast more to for other people to listen to as well. And this episode was produced by Janice Sheila. The music was by Ben Sound. My name is Chris Smith, and this was the Culture Matters Podcast, and I'll be back in two weeks' time. Talk to you then. That's it for this episode. Culture Matters, making you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences. Your host, Chris Smith, has a plan. A plan for people who are looking for a solution.